Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Remember, before God, we are justified by faith. And this viewpoint of justification before God is spiritual in nature. He has spent the entire book trying to explain to them that it's not external in nature. It's not a scripted set of laws or rules to follow that makes you right. We've gone through that many a times. What, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says peace beyond them in verse 16. It only comes from God. It's the first time in the book of Galatians that we see the word mercy that shows up. But we see peace be on them and mercy. And I want you to get two passages of scripture. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. I want to park on this idea that peace can be sought in two different ways. Let's go back to the book of Judges, if you would. Joshua and then Judges chapter number six. Get that with one hand. Judges chapter 6. And then we will get 2 Kings chapter 15. Just keep flipping. And you'll come to the book of 2 Kings. And we'll get chapter number 15. We're going to look at two examples of how peace may be sought. Judges chapter 6, let's start reading at verse number 7. We'll we'll read a good bit of scripture to get some context. But Judges chapter 6, verse number 7, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto unto the children of Israel, Which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Oprah that pertained unto Joash, the Abirizzerite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord. Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, 
and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and eleven cakes of an ephah of flour and flesh he put in the basket and put the broth in the pot and brought it under the oak and presented it. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, take the flesh, the unleavened cakes, lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh of the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, the Lord said unto him, Peace, watch this, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Verse 24, watch what Gideon does. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an oak. In Oprah of the Aborizerites. Gideon. In verse 24. Builds an altar. Gideon calls that altar. Jehovah Shalom. Which means the Lord. Is my peace. That's what Gideon does. He builds the altar. Why? Because in verse 23. The Lord said unto him. Specifically peace. Be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And you know what Gideon does? He goes on and he just completely resists evil. He casts down the altars of Baal, and his peace is brought upon him by essentially obeying the Lord and resisting evil, even when the odds are against him. You and I would be in a situation like that, or we would read a situation like that and say, well, the, the odds are too great. There's nothing we can do. But he gets peace in the midst of all of this. He's going to resist evil, cast down the altars of Baal. And you know what the result is? Go over to Judges chapter 8. And look at verse 28. The result is this. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And watch this. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the day of Gideon. Now, that's pretty good. Odds are against you. The Lord says, do something. He says, peace be unto thee. He builds an altar, calls it Jehovah Shalom. And they end up under his rule having some quietness and some peace because he resisted evil. Now watch what happens in, in the example of 2 Kings. Look at 2 Kings chapter 15. We're going to look at how Menahem sought peace. 2 Kings chapter 15. Look at verse 17. In the ninth and thirteenth year, 2 Kings 15, verse 17, 
of Azariah, king of Judah, began Menahem, the son of Gadai, to reign over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land and Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. And Menahem exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of wealth, of each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. He gave Paul a thousand talents of silver. He bought them off. You can get peace by participating in evil. It's, he was just evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He buys off Paul to stay away from the land, and he got some temporary peace. But it was came at a cost. He didn't resist evil things. And it says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. You can lie, which is wrong and sinful, and you can buy yourself some temporary peace. You can silence people <laughs> with hush money. We see that going on in some areas of our nation. But this has been going on for years. You pay people off to be quiet. And you know what you do? You buy yourself some temporary peace, which is equally wrong. You can kill off your enemies. And you can get yourself some peace. But we have two choices. Ultimately, what we see is we can either resist evil and trust the Lord. Or we can just do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. We're going to get peace, but one's going to come from God and one is not. Let's go back to Galatians. Continue to work through that passage. Look what it says. Uh, okay. And as many as walk. Got a note here that Christianity is a walk. Walk with God. Let's not run with the devil. How do we do that? Too many people have this. Anybody here set long-term goals? I do. Sometimes our long-term goals need to be chopped up into short-term pieces, into short-term goals. We need to focus on some small wins. How do we walk with the Lord? Well, it's one step at a time. <laughs> Take one step today, and then you know what happens? Tomorrow is here. Take another step tomorrow, and guess what happens? Next week is here. So this idea of walking with the Lord, it's great to have this broad lens and draw back everything that we think we ought to be. And sometimes we do that so much that we just get ourselves kind of down in the dumps where, man, Lord, I can never do all I'm supposed to do. One step at a time. We should walk with the attitude, I can learn something new. Lord, I don't have it all figured out. Last note I have on Christianity as a walk is this. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Walk away from the majority. The majority of the time, the majority of the people are wrong. Stay with the light, Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get to what the main crux of the message is going to be this morning is the Israel of God. At the end of verse 16, we see that. 
Peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. We talked about this before as we went through Matthew 24. The error of replacement theology is they tried to take the New Testament church and say, you see, we have replaced Israel, which is completely wrong. It's an entirely new, that's why it's called a New Testament. It is an entirely new thing. And so what they will say is, I am Israel. You are Israel. Well, the Israel of what is the question? And is what we're going to get some truth from tonight. Are you the Israel of the flesh seed descended of Abraham? Or are you the Israel of God? And that's the specific context of this. The true mark of the Israel of God has nothing to do with earthly promises that we're giving to a nation. It has everything to do with spiritual promises. Why does it say here, Israel of God, to specifically distinguish from the Israel of the flesh? We are not Israel according to the flesh. We are the Israel of God. None of us can go on Ancestry.com and run our family bloodline back to Abraham. We're not Jews, or at least I'm going to trust none of us are Jews, by national descent. If you haven't heard the message on the two seeds of Abraham, go back and search it on our, on our web link, and you'll, you'll find it. Why law and the two seeds of Abraham? There are two seeds. There's the physical seed, and then there's the spiritual seed. We're the Israel of God, not of the flesh. Of God is that spiritual seed. How did Abraham believe God? By faith. It was counted to him for righteousness. That is what we share in the line of Abraham. Not a physical seed, a spiritual seed, a by faith. Besides the Ramses, well, and then the Zacharies, there's some relation, but, but none of us are related physically. We don't have the same Ancestry.com if we went online. But we are related in Abraham, not in our physical seed. It makes no sense. But in Christ, in Abraham, by faith, now we're related. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what this is talking about. And it fits so perfectly with all the context as we went through Galatians when he's trying to tell them, stop trying to brag in all your national stuff. Stop trying to brag in circumcision. We're spiritual Israel. Look at Galatians 3. And it says in verse number 7. Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Children, uh, so of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You see that? It's the by faith. It's mentioned three different times. Uh, one more. Look at Romans chapter number four. Go back a book or two, a couple of books, and you'll come to Roman four. Look at verse number 11, Romans 4, 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, Romans 4.11. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. 
that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. We're talking about Abraham's seed and the physical seed or the physical versus the spiritual seed. What traces us back to Abraham? We went through it with so many passages. So when somebody says, well, I believe that the church is Israel. You're going to have to dig a, little, a few layers deeper. What do you mean by that? We're the Israel of what? We're the Israel of God. And it goes specifically back in Galatians to the two seeds of Abraham, not physical. We do not replace Israel. And then we are granted all of those promises that God gave to that nation. It's a spiritual. We have spiritual promises. Uh, get Hebrews chapter nine, if you would. We'll expand a little bit more on this Israel of God. The Jews. Uh, get Hebrews nine and hold your finger there. And as you're turning there, remember the Jews had an advantage. Matter of fact, I'll read you Romans three. The Bible says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. They were given God's word. That's a pretty big advantage. In the Old Testament, if you want to learn about God, you had to hang out with Jews and read their Bible and get with them. They had a guide for life and they were given promises by God. And you want to talk about a privilege. That's pretty. That's a pretty privileged group of people. Bible says in first Timothy chapter three, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, but you know what the Jews did when he came, they rejected him. Oh, wow. I'm a Jew. I've got the oracles of God. I've got all the law. I've got the Torah. I've got this. I've got that. I got circumcision. Well, that's great. But when the Messiah came, you rejected him. They're so focused on what they have that they miss the Messiah. Came unto his own, his own received him not. Now look at Hebrews 9. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 14. And much more. Hebrews 9, 14. Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Urge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Do you know what promise we have? The promise is not of I'm a Jew or I'm a Gentile. No, I'm part of the church of God. And the promise is an eternal 
inheritance. It's better. The Jew had the oracles of God and they rejected him. Our promise is spiritual in nature and eternal inheritance. That inheritance, that eternal inheritance that we read about in Hebrews 9, that is what makes us the Israel of God. It's not of the flesh. Get 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look at we'll look at one one more here. We should live separate from the world. And the Jews did do this. They were God's chosen national race. It was God's chosen people, and they lived different. They couldn't mix these garments together. They couldn't eat these foods. And we can just go on down the line of all the things that God asked them to do to live separate so that everybody would know those people are my people and they do things different. Matter of fact, it says in Genesis 23, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. A sojourner is a temporary resident. And they live so separate from the world. I need a burying place. That's how separate they were. And there's some pride that all national religion brings to the table before I got saved included. Well, I'm Roman Catholic, so I'm good. I've got something that makes me right. In other words, that's a little bit of my separation. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were set apart by God. And when they obeyed God, they were blessed physically. When he came unto his own, his own received them not. But they did live a separate life. Now watch in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Because we too, we are blood-bought Christians. And we are strangers. Hebrews 11 tells us, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And as blood-bought Christians, we too are strangers, like Israel was strangers and sojourners, but different. And I'm going to show you why in 2 Corinthians 6, because we're, we're called out of this world. 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse 15. Uh, let's start at 14. But ye not be... Ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what conqueror hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We yoke different, we commune different, we concord different. There's the saying that I like to use is that when you work in the dirt, the dirt doesn't get handy. Your hands get dirty. We don't play and touch and and and, and commune and get involved with dirty things of this world. We are separate. We are called out. We're not part of this world. We have too much interest in Hollywood, too much interest in the television, too much interest in American false idols, too much interest in sports heroes that hate our God and won't stand and say one nation under God. And we have too much interest. We want to commune, we want to concord, we want to fellowship. We want to know all the stats. We want to know all everything about this whole world system. Just gets you sucked in. Throw it out. Reel them in. And we just suck them in with the scroll. That's how it works. Maybe new technology. Maybe better technology. But nonetheless, it's not like Satan changed his game. It's just he's got more tools to work with nowadays. Why are we, and if we're not, praise God, why are we more interested in things of the world than in things of Christ? We shouldn't be. We're called out of this world. We're pilgrims. We're a temple of the living God. And we're not going to let in idols. And anything that we put before God is an idol. Dare I say this morning that all sin is idolatry. Well, where does it say in the Bible that alcohol is idolatry? Do you love alcohol more than God? It's an idol in your in your heart. It's an idol. It's something that's before God. The Bible says I should work. Yes, but if work is your God, if 40 hours isn't enough, if 10 hours of overtime isn't enough, if 30 hours of overtime isn't enough, if 100,000 isn't enough, if a million isn't enough, when is enough enough? When is God going to get the preeminence? When is God going to be, get God? Some of us need to give back the idol of work to the devil so that we can serve the living God. I think we all men should work. All men should provide. That's not, I'm not going there. I believe that. I do that. And I want to encourage all of us to hold, all of us men to hold each other accountable for that. But there comes a point in your own heart. When does it pass over to, you know what? I'm just of this system. That's an idol of my heart. God hates idolatry. We were born again. Galatians 6 says, what was it? Verse 15, we're, we're a new creature. We're created anew. We live as pilgrims and strangers, as sojourners with God. And you know what that separation makes us? That separation makes us the Israel of God. We're separate from this world. And watch what it says, verse 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. For I bear 
in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 4. You should be right in 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Stay with me as we wind down here. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 4. Look at verse number 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted. And have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we, we reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved son, I warn you. And Paul says to these Corinthians, come on. You guys are looking for honor? Really? And what Christ did for you? Be a fool for Christ's sake. That's not our text verse for us to all run around acting foolish. It's our text verse to see that Paul is pleading this with these Corinthians to say, you know what? Don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your strength. Don't try to get honor. Consider yourself weak and despised. Be ready to be reviled. Be ready to bless because persecution's coming. Just suffer it and give all the honor and glory to God. Now, watch this one. Go back to 2 Corinthians. Watch this one. Because there's a part of all of us that say, well, I can do that 1 Corinthians stuff. I'm with you. I can do that. And I thought the same thing as I read that until I went and I ran this verse, 2 Corinthians 11. Watch what happens here. We read this before. But in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, go to verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in pearls of water, in pearls of robbers, in pearls by mine own countrymen, in pearls by the heathen, in pearls in the city, in pearls in the wilderness, in pearls in the sea. And perils among false brethren. Can you see it now? Can you see him saying, Paul, would you shut up already? Too convicting. We don't want to hear it. I've not been stoned. I trust you haven't either. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Not only is this man hungry and thirsty, but he's willing to fast. Two, three hours goes by and we're like, we need food. Paul's trying to 
live the Christian life, minister to people, all that he's gone through, he's hungry. Do you think they're taking him out to the Golden Corral before they stone him or before they imprison him? <laughs> no. It's bad news. But in fastings often, the last thing I'd be thinking about if I had to live the life of Paul is, oh, I can't wait to fast for the Lord. It's tough. But he's just so plugged into God. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the, of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. It's pretty good. Okay, so how do we tie those two verses in? Okay, so you legalizers want to come and tell these Galatians, oh, well, you're circumcised and you bear the mark of Christ. Really? And we just need to go and look at Paul's life and now weigh it out. Who bears the mark of Christ? Somebody that can boast in, well, I'm circumcised and you're not. Well, I keep this law and you don't. Well, I have this and you you have not. And we read what Paul goes through and his life bears the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I would submit to you this morning as well as I submit to myself is what marks do our life bear? Does it bear the marks of Jesus Christ? Do we follow him? Enough where it's not a mark where, you know, you get a little dirt on your arm and you can just wipe it off. You get a little cut and it'll heal over. Not talking about marks like that. Marks that Paul bore weren't flesh marks. They were deep. The deeper we get, the roots deep we get in Christ. They're not surface marks. It's the marks of a true possession of the Lord, not just simply a profession. Well, I said some words. They're, they're not flesh marks. And if that's the case, if you have the marks of the Lord Jesus, then no man can trouble you. Because it doesn't matter if you went through the shipwreck and the stoning and the jailing and the thirst and the hunger and the famine and all the stuff that he went through. Those bearing marks, let no man trouble you. The Lord will see you through it. And finally, I'll finish out with the last verse. And we'll close out the book of Galatians. It says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul starts with. He, he finishes the same way he starts. Go back to the beginning of the chapter and I'll show you. And then we'll close out. Galatians chapter 6, he says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Look in the very beginning of chapter 1. We already preached through it. We'll just read it. He says in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Grace be to you in peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts and finishes the same way. Grace. And that has been the whole focus of, 
of the book of Galatians, them understanding grace as opposed to law. Everything starts and ends with grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. From our salvation to our sanctification as Christians to what will be our glorification as Christians. We did so many messages and parked on that before. But as we wrap as we wrap up this book, all of it is by God's grace. And none of us can find any boasting in anything that we do. Save in Christ and his cross. Bear the marks. Be crucified to this world. And don't forget. There is a world out there that's lost. We separate from that world because we don't want our children getting caught up. We separate from that world because we don't have any interest in the things that they do. But they don't know the grace of God. They don't have the peace of God. They've not experienced the mercy of God. We make no effect to them in here. We only get sharpened. We only get edified. We only become better Christians for it, better fathers for it, better mothers for it, better personal Christians of our life. But it doesn't affect that world unless we go out into that lost and dying world and tell them about the grace that they can receive by trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then they can get in on the winning side. It's all about grace. It was never designed for us to keep it to ourselves. Not a one of us are here. Because somebody kept it to themselves. Somebody said, hey, hey, did you hear? And they told him about Jesus. May God help us to do that. Take it out. Don't keep it in the four walls. Get it out there. So more people can be saved by grace. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.